Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I am your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine. I'm ridiculously excited about today's guest who I've been trying to chase down for a very long time uh, because I have been reading his cookbooks for ages. They have transformed the way that I think about achievable home cooking and especially salads, which we will get into some. Um, He has a new book called Ultimate Veg, which just came out uh, in the U.S. He has been at the helm of some really exciting and important restaurants in the U.K., hosts a gazillion television shows, and has just really afforded for what I think is the future of food. This is not actually a podcast. We're actually going to turn the lights down so you can have a nap. Oh, really? Yeah. I get to sleep now. Yeah. When have you last been able to stop and have a nap? Because you In have the day. Any time. Because you have a million jobs. Yeah, I do. I mean, I sleep well at night because I'm so exhausted. <laughs> but um, my, my, I know it's a good moment when I'm in a hammock. I see blue sky and mm-hmm. I'm allowed to sleep in the day. Oh my goodness! The and idea of a siesta is like my idea of pure heaven. Oh my gosh! So, do you, what do you do with your phone at that point? Can you just like cast that into the sea? Uh, no, because <laughs> I don't want sand to get in there. <laughs> God forbid my phone has anything. Oh um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm falling out of love with my phone. I mean, it's definitely an addictive, efficient source. And I think if you work in the sort of world of of the written word, design, you know, filming, yeah. seeing cuts. You know, you never switch off. No. Um, and I think now I've got kids as well. You know, I think the, 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 the debate of our time right now is kind of our relationship and, our, and your family's relationship with screens. It's um, so, it really is so difficult because we, you know, so we've, we've both been at this for a while. <laughs> and the landscape of our, sort of who gets our attention has changed so, so much. Um, I wanted to say a thank you to you for... Uh, there's no way in the world you would remember this, uh, but I was just <laughs> talking with your publicist 1,000 years ago. I was present at a radio show that you were doing with Martha Stewart, yes. and you were talking uh, really openly about having been underestimated as a kid because you had a rough time in school yep. and about teachers n- not being very kind about that and you really feeling like you had to apply yourself. And I've wanted to thank you for your honesty about that because also I feel like you've been incredibly honest about what it ta- the toll that this particular industry takes. Mm. So let's talk about this because you have we're going to get to this book, which is a fantastic book. It's it's Jamie Oliver Ultimate Veg, holding it up for people who can see it on camera. I have been so excited by this book because I've been cooking from your your books for a, a very long time, and it's really helped me become a better cook. Whenever I make a salad, I think of your evolution salad. Yeah, it man. really completely transformed. Never me. have to be bored. <laughs> no, you wear so many different hats and yes. you write cookbooks. You have to be on. I saw you early this morning making a lasagna on TV. Yeah. That's a different type of on. Yeah. Live TV America, you know, Good Morning America <laughs> is a different type of on. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think many different hats is you've hit it on the head. Yeah. And there is a per- the particular masochism of restaurants and you've had, you know, a crazy road with, with all of those and you're delving back into some restaurants. How are you taking care of yourself while you're going through uh, everything oh. that you do? Well, How think, are you? Well, I'm, I'm really good now. Good. I think it's, um, I think... Uh, I'm just kind of working out roughly me. Yeah. And I think, you know, most of my best moments in my life 
uh, I think have been defined by sort of single-mindedness, but just being stupid enough. <laughs> I know that you know, feeling. I, like, like a lot, of, you know, when I set up 15, which is a restaurant that ran for 17 years, mm-hmm. which took kids. Which, from... congratulations, that is a long time for a restaurant. Yeah, and, um, and we had the 15 Project took kids from the projects, mm-hmm. from prison, and we made them passionate about food at a very high level. Mm-hmm. We were able to graduate 80%. And 80% of those kids would stay in the industry sort mm-hmm. of five years on. Um, you know, I've got students with Michelin stars. I haven't. So I'm very proud of 15. But, you know, I think that the idea of being just naive or stupid enough is, you know, is worth embracing. Mm-hmm. Um, being clever and conservative and measured is definitely worth embracing as well. Mm-hmm. I think I have succeeded and failed with both of those mm-hmm. sort of very disparate emotions. Um, I think if you're too clued up, you know magical things don't happen because everything mm-hmm. gets a bit beige. And if you haven't got belt and braces in place, then you end up losing things that are really precious because something you didn't think of happened. And yeah. your business, whether it was the labor model or the rents or the rates um, or how you're structured, just wasn't bendy enough to survive that year or that two years. So that's, you know, I feel like I'm actually in a really amazing place of wisdom. Weirdly, although I've got, yeah. I lost all my UK restaurants last year, I, and I know that that had to be an incredibly painful thing. I've seen so many friends go through this. And it's it's a funny thing. People focus on restaurants closing, but they don't pay attention to how long they were open. And yeah. having a restaurant survive beyond the first year or so is an incredibly tough thing to do in the first place. It was kind of an experiment as well. I mean, I'd yeah. always come, I grew up in a family business. Mm-hmm. I grew up on small and local. And then I kind of only worked professionally in small and local mm-hmm. restaurants. And then... Like the restaurants that I lost, they lived for 13 years. I'll, give, I'll give you the QT because I think it's kind of fascinating. Please tell. And, yeah. and, and, and they're dead now. So there's not like I'm kind of building a story for my own kind of ego. Right. But the, the experiment for me from its kind of nucleus was how do you make high level sourcing ingredients live in mid-market dining? Mm-hmm. So by paying people better, by giving all the staff their tips from day one, from uh, getting, you know, higher welfare meat, sustainable fish, you know, at the right price. You know, we did it for 13 years. We turned over a billion pounds. So I don't know what that is in dollars. A lot. We paid over 100 million pound in tax to Mm -hmm. the government. That kept a few schools going, Mm -hmm. right? We paid people well. Mm -hmm. And and, and to the moment we died. Yeah. You know, there were, you know, when when we did die, I personally paid up all the staff so that they didn't kind of go through terrible stuff. Yeah. But I never paid myself a pound, not even a dividend. Really? So I I think like that puts me, the reality is so, so if you're going to be binary about it, you go, well, you lost, dude, you lost. And that's the truth. We did. Mm -hmm. But it was always an experiment. Mm -hmm. If if I was only interested in my own ego, I'd have one restaurant and Mm -hmm. I'd make it the best one on the planet. Use lots of tweezers. We'd be completely pretentious and (laughs) we'd have stars everywhere. And it was so, so we, but what I can tell you is we were so close to getting it right. And, and for nine years, it worked incredible. Mm -hmm. It it can work. I I just, my ship or ships that I built Mm -hmm. were just not bendy enough. It's a bit like big buildings in Japan. I've got yeah, like suspension on the bottom. That. And like we had like big buildings, like business, like restaurants like that. Mm-hmm. Bustling places with like lovely free range chicken. And we were selling our, our chicken plates at the same plate as every other bag of shit restaurant down, down the high, mid-market, you know. Um, and But when the sort of high street decline, when the sort of the mm-hmm. Uberization of our world happened, which was about four years ago, mm-hmm. when no one wanted to sit down for lunch anymore because they're so busy, 
um, and the digital side really ramped up, and we didn't have restaurants geared up for that. Right. Um, when our ki- when our kitchens require cooks to cook in mm-hmm. instead of reheating, um, my ships were like not fit for the kind of shockwaves that were going to come. So sadly, after three years of battling to save them, I lost them all. But I have to say, it was. I mean, from I'm really good on stress. I'm really good at bubbling situations, emotions, creativity, mm-hmm. jobs. But even like last year, I was probably at my edge. And how you know, did you... There was like two weeks when I thought I was going to have a heart attack, which was, which was frightening. And I couldn't go to anyone about it because... <laughs> there yeah. were other moving parts that right. I couldn't fess up to. That is, the, um, and that's the hardest thing is when you don't have that release valve. Where do you put that? Because I've I've uh, been in that low place before, and I was lucky enough to have a few people who I could reach out to and be like, "I'm in trouble. This is not good." I think the good thing that we did. It sounds like a really weird thing to say, and, and, and actually, the the weird, genuinely, I'm I'm grateful mm-hmm. for my failure because. I still feel I've got another 15 years to give. Yeah. And I still hope that I can do some extraordinary things. You're younger than I am. And yeah, I think, you're good. And I think like, like when you kick off the genesis of something beautiful, mm-hmm. anything, but in my case, a restaurant, mm-hmm. like you never think of death. Right. right? You can't go. Is or it, failure. So what, yeah. I, what, what, what I was able to do and what I am really proud of is as we, we, we couldn't find the investment we needed to sort of do what we needed to with the estate that we had. Mm-hmm. So therefore it was going to die. So because I prepared for that for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. I was able to do the best version of bad. So what does that mean? It means that, you know, the vast majority of suppliers were paid and the ones that weren't, you know, I had enough restaurants where I could kind of just overpay. Mm-hmm. But there's all legalities and stuff going right. on with this, that yeah. and the other. So you kind of got, you just got to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I personally made sure all my staff were paid mm-hmm. and we kind of did it, we did the best version of bad. But no one ever talks about that. They just they just talk about success or failure. But that you know, There's so, so I think it's, be learned it's in the grave. absolutely. And and now, if I ever did another restaurant, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, look, the upside of of what happened was I still have I have seventy restaurants in twenty three countries mm-hmm. that are well run, profitable, amazing partners. And I don't know how many other chefs get to do it on that level, but mm-hmm. like I know it's fairly rare. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. The downside is I lost my kind of home restaurants because mm-hmm. Britain's an unusual place at the moment and uh. I wasn't fit for it but I think yeah. if I ever did it again mm-hmm. like I, f- I feel much wiser um, about how I would do it how I'd structure it and and where I would put staff and talent differently in the story I think that's such an important part of it to talk about these things where it didn't work but not because of people didn't put in their best efforts not because anybody was dishonest not because of anything but sometimes there are outside factors that, that come in there who could have predicted political climate that is happening the financial climate that is happening so that wind down time is really important because I've, I've seen people absolutely lose their stuff during that I mean with with the kind of work that I do with mental health and restaurants I've seen people end their lives uh, because of that because they were taking it as a shocker they didn't want to face the end and I think facing ends gracefully is the thing that really helps people get through and helps the people under you uh, and, and to add to to your point is like everyone sort of said well you know god you know what could be worse than losing all your restaurants and, and I can yes. tell you I can tell you what's worse is trying to keep them alive yeah, yeah. the day that they went down was a very very sad day mm-hmm. but there was tons of weight taken off my shoulders did you feel like and you were worry. standing financial hemorrhaging and um, you know so actually like we're like we're in a really good, creative, busy, you know, well-run, profitable place now. Mm-hmm. Before it was just like 
And also you want your pride makes you want to save something. But mm -hmm. I think also, and, and, and I, I feel that I can talk about it like this because mm -hmm. I never took a wage or a dividend. Like yeah. really in my own what, really, I just look at it as 15. I was running, I was basically running a charity for 13 mm -hmm. years. That's really how I see it. Yeah. You know, and, and the fact that we were cooking 7 million meals a year yeah. that were, you know, from, you know, every time we bought produce, it was voting for a system that was positive, not negative. You know, we were bucking the trends. Mm -hmm. We were busy. We were profitable. We were um, able to pay people, engage staff at a level. No one had seen like engaged staff. Like we, we, we were getting sort of our sort of feedback on our staff serving was just amazing because they were so engaged. They went on trips to see where things came from. And, and it wasn't on a sort of singular one restaurant vibe, mm -hmm. which we've all seen before. Right. It was on a multiple site <laughs> sort of vibe. So I think, you know, I do see it as an amazing experiment. And, uh, and of course, um, hindsight is a powerful master. Well, I've also seen, I, I talk to a lot of British chefs about uh, the, the, the system that happens over in the UK. And I think it's the, easier than the US, by the way. I, I have to say, a lot of the chefs who, who I have talked to have talked about the still the brigade system, still this sort of emotionally abusive place in, in the kitchen. And it is... It but is I think that's less common now. It is definitely less common, but people came up through that and they're still unlearning all of these things. Mm, for but sure. before your restaurants, I wasn't really seeing this very particular meld of advo advocacy and restaurants. Um, maybe people were doing it on an individual basis, but it's always been part of what I've considered to be your DNA with your cookbooks, with your restaurants yeah. and stuff. So how did you, if there wasn't a blueprint for that, what made you start doing that as part of your model? I, I, I think like people always see me as being sort of businessy or businessman. Mm -hmm. it, honestly, it's always creative first. And mm -hmm. for me, it was like, okay, like what is like casual mid-market dining look like mm -hmm. where the pasta's made from scratch every single day mm -hmm. by local people using organic eggs and, and like the correct flour mm -hmm. and you know bread made and proved on site mm -hmm. and you know meats marinated and, and I invented my own grill you know based on the old Almatoni system so instead mm -hmm. of bricks wrapped in tinfoil I just mm -hmm. had these kind of male and female heavy bricks that you would preheat white mm -hmm. hot and then you'd cook deboned chickens marinated mm -hmm. in like three and a half minutes all the way through but crispy skin um, but with your staffing too though that was a different model than maybe people were yeah, using well, before people weren't going through the cooking school you were taking maybe at risk youth and yeah. training them up well, that, and, and that primary was 15 okay. for sure mm -hmm. and um, uh, but of, of course um, you know if you did a survey of most of the restaurant industry maybe the kids we were focused on at 15 aren't so dissimilar to a proportion of people that go into the oh. industry at large. Oh, um, heck yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's sort of like there's a wonderful track from prison to restaurants and, yeah. you know, and, and there's and there's a lot of that. But the fact that... You I, think, I think where the difference is, sorry yeah. to interrupt, is, uh -huh. like, is that if I'm allowed to generalise mm -hmm. on the sort of 500 students that we had mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in the 17 years that we, we ran, mm -hmm. was... There were patterns. I mean, there were patterns where, the, you know, the, they were mainly single parent families. Mm -hmm. um, you know, generally it was drug involved crime. Mm -hmm. um, and where the reoffending rate in the US and the UK of 18 to 24 year old kids mm -hmm. is really, really high. Mm -hmm. So if you want to buck that train, that trend, which we did mm -hmm. categorically every year consistently, um, literally opposite statistics. So, you know, uh, then you've got to do more than just employ. 
And what we did was mentor. Mm-hmm. And that mentoring didn't stop and start. It was constant. Right. And then also, like, you know, I'd, ha- look, I'd have young 17-year-old kids that would earn a couple of grand a week stealing cars. You know, so if they were, ironically, they were working a five-day week. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Honestly, they were making a couple of grand, seventeen years old. You mm-hmm. know, and then they got, you know, I I could pay them two hundred and fifty bucks, um, which was two hundred and fifty bucks more than I had at college. But mm-hmm. still, it's two hundred and fifty bucks. So how do you take? How do you, the and the only yeah. way? You <laughs> What's can, your convincing argument here? <laughs> well, um, passion, love, yeah, um, uh, respect, if, maybe. Yeah, I, basically, what I just tried to do was, if I could get those students to stay on the course mm-hmm. for six months, they were we could have them. And like, so if you start doing like autopsies on farm salmon versus wild, yeah. or if you take them to a, like a proper pig farm, mm-hmm. uh, if you see them curing meats, if you show how to break down an animal and use mm-hmm. every part, if you take them to Italy and introduce them to like dons of olive oil, dons of cure, yeah. um, they start to realize that, um, yes, of course, there's talent and there's things and, and it's inspiring. But m- I think more so and deeper than that was this kind of rhythm of consistency. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you turn up and if you care mm-hmm. and if you kind of smile, generally, if you hang around long enough, yeah. you progress. Well, and, and if you progress, then you can normally flourish in some way. It's amazing when you treat somebody like a human being, they tend to flourish. And I, I think a lot of the systems are set up to dehumanize people. And it's amazing what just looking somebody in the eye can do. But I think when you've got lack of hope yeah. in inner city parts of towns mm-hmm. or cities where the, you don't, you know, the, the further you pull kids away from shit growing yeah you know yeah i I would take like big burly tough Mm -hmm. ex-gangsters into the country (laughs) and they'd be flinching they'd be looking (laughs) at their shoulder going they would be like vulnerable (laughs) yeah because everything was a bit green and so i think like you know so for me is so now i sort of see this value in like okay so how do we get the kids of the city into Mm -hmm. the country how do we get the country into the city Mm. and 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 then and then vice versa as well i mean i think you know, a lot of the problems that we have in the States and the UK at the moment are this kind of, you know, us and them approach. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, yeah. and it's sort of like teams of football or kind of like, <laughs> you know, and, and obviously politics helps in that. But yeah. I think, you know, there's generally speaking um, in the world of food, I, I have never, if there's a good product, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's a beer or a cheese or a bread. Mm-hmm. If there's a good product, it's always made by incredible people. Always. You can taste that. Yeah. And um, because, you know, the easy buck is not making, mm-hmm. you know, slow fermenting rare <laughs> right. grain bread. You know, right. that's not how to make an easy buck. No one's um, making a quick buck off a lot of kombucha. So, so <laughs> or, it's got to be love. Or uh, kimchi, I meant to say. Yeah. That, yeah you, can, you can taste the love and the care in that stuff. For sure. Yeah, it, it 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 takes something like you you really can taste that hand in it, and you can taste you can taste when people have cut corners and and when you invest in a person too, you know they can they can grow and they can thrive in that particular way. And I feel like, are you able to look at all of this and see the people who have come through and what they have started and what yeah. they have done? And that's got to be a really gratifying thing. In the last seven do. years, I think it's been probably one of my biggest pleasures. Yeah. Um, Seeing kids that you met at sort of 16 or 18, sort of running their own restaurants, like smashing it, focusing. What was really nice about the 15 program was like we'd train them all the same. We'd Mm -hmm. give them all the same love, care and attention, all the same resource, but Mm -hmm. they'd all come out different. So some would just just want to run the best deli, mm-hmm. obsessed by sandwiches. Yeah. Another one would be a bakery. Another one would be like a cake shop. Another one would be Michelin. You know, another one wants to go like Michelin hopping around the mm. world, you know. From, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. uh, and um, 
some of the coolest restaurants in London now are ex-grads, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's amazing. And what's really nice is the last five years we were able to send students to those restaurants. So the only thing better than me training my 15 students yeah. is a 15 student training a 15 student. And, um, and, you know, the only thing I really had in common with a lot of our students was uh, the, the fact that I was rubbish at school and couldn't, yeah. couldn't fit in. That really... You know, I had a really stable family and I was yeah. happy. Um, so, but the school bit we had, all had in common. Oh, that is that is really truly a through line that I say, I talk with so many chefs who say like they're dyslexic, have some sort of you know learning disability, or just it's just not their thing. And I think it's so important to to learn that that thing about yourself. Like, okay, I'm maybe this is my particular skill set, but I am valuable still in a way. Like, I got diagnosed last year with ADHD, and for so many years I thought like I'm just a broken person who can't do these particular things. And to be able to really harness like what mm. my brain. Can can yeah. actually do is... my daughter was just um diagnosed as that and it was kind of a bit of a moment for us really because yeah it, it means then it, it, in the schooling situation mm -hmm. which of course you're out of mm -hmm. uh, give you know in a traditional sense yeah. um it means that you can it, you back it up with proper support yeah. and you can take 90 percent of that away that's kind of distracting you from being able to you know attention deficit disorder yeah i mean my you know they thought that she was disrupting school but she was just like tapping to stop to focus yeah like just to focus was a struggle and i find i've actually found that like kitchens are really good for people with with ocd with yeah. and some with adhd and and different well they are if they're not really... full of drugs and booze yeah i mean and... i think that's that's an interesting one like you know yeah places with hot oil and sharp knives is just <laughs> i mean i know that that i think there's i, th I believe there's less now there's, i genuinely in the uk for sure there's but, definitely a but, shift but they you know i think when they're full of drugs which certainly mm. 25 years ago that it was like rife yeah um not very good places um, to work. No, it's there. I always talk about sort of this crucible of the 80s and 90s in restaurants in the US and the UK that sort of, you know, pirate ship mentality that our friend Anthony Bourdain would, would talk about where there was this glorified uh, masochism <laughs> about, you know, I can do the most hours, I can pull the most shifts, I can abuse my body to the nth degree, and you get rewarded for that, that you have pulled so many days, uh, you know, without any time yeah, off, yeah. and that is glorified somehow, and I really feel like there's been a cultural shift away from that, and... I think there are various factors to it. I think there's the loss of life from a lot of people, including, you know, Anthony Bourdain and some other, you know, chefs, uh, you know, th throughout the, the U.S. And, and Europe who've taken their own lives mm -hmm. for various reasons. Mm -hmm. and, stuff. and I think they've realized that people aren't going to stay in the industry if if there's that, if there is that burnout. If and I feel like there's been a move toward healthier It's a really, I mean, I, and I'm really kind of caught. I mean, I, I'm not caught. As in between a place that is a loving, safe place where mm -hmm. you have the capacity to learn and, and progress. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that is a given. Mm -hmm. And actually, every business should be able to ha to harness that, mm -hmm. um, not box it in and stay where they are, whether mm -hmm. that's a good place or a bad place. But, you know, better should always be an option. But I think mm -hmm. um, for me, what I saw mm -hmm. was like in a natural sense you know, doing 80 to 100 hours a week was normal for me for the first five years of my mm -hmm. life. And what that did for me was make me not spend lots of money. It made me progress and learn more because I did more hours. I did more stuff, mm -hmm. which meant that I could kind of elevate through the kitchen 
structure quicker. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. get on the grill. Yeah, you, know, you get rewarded. And you, and you just you try and wait out someone to have a hangover and not turn up so you could get to run the grill section. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. people forget how hard it is to get on a section and run it oh, yeah. instead of being like the dog's body. So, so when when the EU the uh, European law came in, um the it's of course logical and right to basically take the working week to a 48 hour week. So there's lots of positivity with that. Mm -hmm. As an employer, not being like a kind of whipping employer. But what I saw with my 15 students is they had energy at the end of the week. So mm -hmm. they got into a lot more trouble. Oh, really? You see, it's so, like... so, I, so they weren't tired enough. Oh, goodness. And so... as my dad would say, keep young boys busy. How do you solve so for that? So there's this kind of, there's this kind of, there's this righteous, logical, progressive kind of stance, mm -hmm. which I completely agree in. Mm -hmm. And then there's this kind of like, too many hours but mm -hmm. but so what is mindless is too many mindless hours spent in the kitchen that makes sense but if yeah. you're putting graft in to institutions that give a shit mm -hmm. um all you're investing in is your own career so actually it's not a loss so it was interesting but also what happens of course is then your kitchens can't afford more labor with mm -hmm. less hours so you end up with less hours the same amount of people mm -hmm. and then less craft happens in the four walls. So you start buying in stuff. So it's a really juxtaposition for, for, for me because like I'm kind of on the fence with it all, but mm -hmm. what really makes me sick in my stomach is when you see like a diverse cooking fraternity through regulation becoming more pressurized to centralized procurement, centralized sort. You know, you, yeah. you've got quite posh restaurants now which are buying in everything made. And so really then we call them regen kitchens instead of mm -hmm. kitchens. So like in my in my kitchens, we were marinating, we were grilling, we mm -hmm. were making pasta. You know, they you know, on a quiet day we'd have to have five guys in the kitchen. You know, all my competitors would have two or three. You know, so that so financially that's a massive advantage against us yeah so you know so that what's what's interesting is like you know how do but at the same time you want a really diet you want the customers to have choice mm -hmm. of everything and you want that your offers in food to be diverse so is it how is it that a restaurant that cares is treated the same as say domino's pizza this, this, Do you know what I mean? Like, this like, is this is very much the conundrum of the day. Like how, yes, you can taste it when when people care when that when there is that extra level of the sourcing that comes through when you do get the thing that is very lovingly made there are all different kinds of costs and i and i am weighing that all the time what is the dollar cost what is the time cost of things and i think the dining public needs some more education about uh, some of that there's got to be some tax relief means. though in my opinion yeah, there's no, got to be i some. absolutely believe tax relief to people that employ more people mm -hmm. per 100 covers you know they're mm -hmm. investing in employment but also like when they're buying fruit and veg and, and fish, they're, they're buying sustainable fish. Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, I've got, buying the cheapest food in the world and selling it cheap is the easiest thing in the world to do. Mm. And to make money out of it is the easiest part of our industry. Yeah. But, like, you know, so how, how do you incentivize yeah. chefs that care? And the care thing about food is interesting, isn't it? Because if you're a good chef and you care in your hood, by default, they're normally beautifully in tuned to the 100 miles around them whether yeah. it's like liquid enjoyment or, you know, like cured things or fish mm -hmm. or meat, like, you know. And so like one little restaurant that cares has this incredible effect on these small farms and bakers and artisans mm -hmm. that are, are not I, taking the easy route. No, Do you know I, what I mean? I, I recently met a dairy farmer who only supplies one restaurant in uh, Trondheim. 
and he makes his entire living. And it's the best butter I've ever tasted. Yeah. Of course, there's a premium on, on that butter, but is able to keep this man's entire yeah. uh, life alive going on with that. And, uh, you know, he could do a cheaper product and he could sell to more places. And he, I think he ha maybe has five cows yeah, yeah. that he does. But they've made this compact between him and the owner of this yeah, restaurant. Yeah. And luckily, the clients I do think about it a lot these it. days. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, like, we're sort of having a rambling conversation about what is a fair playing field mm -hmm. for a rich and diverse food industry full of choice? Yes. And, you know, because if you just follow efficiency, mm -hmm. everyone would have a crew cut. <laughs> right. Right. If you just follow efficiency. I mean, I, I had a dream the other night about sort of perfect nutrition, the concept of perfect nutrition. Yes. And about five years ago, I went back to school and studied nutrition. And um, if you want to be granular about a meal, it's a very boring way to live. I mean, you can look at the day or the week, but, you could drink but um, or good or bad. But 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 you know. But I was kind. Of, I kind of had a dream about, you know, set in fifty years time, and and you know, sort of plugging yourself in to nutrition. You know, because we're all so busy, there's no time to eat anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like this is I'm, I'm talking complete rubbish here, but this is a dream I, I had. I'm sort of, and, and what I'm trying to say is, where's the joy in it? Well, I guess yeah, is what I, well we all want choice, but mm. but also if it's only driven by commerce, yeah, it naturally has effect of editing out the kind of dreamers and the thinkers and the carers mm. and the people that will spend like two decades perfecting something for the now that was based and rifting off of. 300 years of America or, yeah. or the UK. You know what I mean? Like I, I believe in the weirdos who are trying this thing and everybody's looking at them like they're, you know, running around saying the sky is falling, the sky yeah. is falling. And it turns out. But I, I mean, I had, a, I, I had a moment like when I was a kid, one, one of my defining moments as a chef was I grew up in a little village mm -hmm. and two of my best mates were gypsies, right? Mm -hmm. Does that translate in, do you know what, do you uh, have like gypsies? Uh, no, I, th I, th I think. So they're sort of like Rome, Romany gypsies. Travelers. They don't, yeah, travelers. They normally live in caravans. They, mm -hmm. they, they are known for not paying tax and mm -hmm. being, you know, fairly tough and tight as a community. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, they're sort of, I, I guess you'd call them uh, out, outsiders, mm -hmm. maybe is the right. But um, that my two best friends were gypsies, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, he used to literally grow up on jam sandwiches. Yeah. Not like that's it. Yeah. And I remember, and we used to go to my mum and dad's pub. We used to close at three and open up again at six. And we used to go in there and raid the buffet. And I used to make badass sandwiches and like, you know, combo stuff up, you know, like, you know, beef, horseradish, pinch of salt, you know, rattle, you know, then I kind of smoke salmon. Like, you know, we'd be, I'd be stealing it off my parents. Of um, <laughs> but I remember, I remember giving my mate, um, he went to eat a sandwich, which was a smoked salmon sandwich. I'm, this is like, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. um, 35 years ago. And um, I stopped. He was just going, his, stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I squeezed a bit of lemon in it. I know this is really romantic and wanky, but I, but, I yeah. did it. <laughs> and he put that in his mouth. And his, you can't pull that. The face that he pulled of surprise yeah. and joy and smoke and salt and acidity and sweetness all in one. Like he, I know he'd, he'd only ever had sweetness from jam sandwiches. I'm telling you that. Yeah. And so... I think, like, you know, good thing. I mean, I, I was in a really cool old record shop the other day where they have valve amps, proper mm -hmm. cabs, you know, music that shifts air in a room. And, they're, and I'm like, dude, surely all your customers are like my age, you know, like sort of 40, 45 years old. He's like, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. 
mate, all the 20-year-olds are coming yes. in. They're going mad because they've only ever heard music through shitty little earbud pods. And yes. they think they're cool, but they're the most uncool thing in the world. And they come in here, and yeah. it's literally like that smoked salmon moment. Like, to fear, yeah. to fear proper bass moving. And, and for me, food, music, oh, I was, this is all the, the really good stuff. It is. I always feel like that moment in The Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to color. Like, the, the, yeah. those transformative moments. I'm remembering the first time my dad picked up, like, a modern Joffrey cookbook and, and coming home in the house, the way the Smelling. house smelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there was that particular moment. So I, I want to talk about your, your cookbook because I have been such a fan of your cookbooks for such a long time, and they really have transformed how I think about specifically, like, salads were such a huge thing for me because your, your evolution salad really made me think about texture in in a totally different way and I'm you know a food person who has always cared very very deeply about food and I got that book and the way that this is structured for people who haven't seen this particular thing there are different versions of ways that you can do a salad there's the basic version then there are the add-ons and then there are the super it's add-ons it's pimp my ride for salads yeah <laughs> but it, it informs the way that I you know since then have, have made salads and gosh I remember making the um, the beef ends and, and Guinness uh, pie out of out of that as well and just having this moment it was something that I didn't know if I could ever achieve at home and you really have transformed the way so many of us cook Thank in you. the states and this particular book is such a pleasure because I've seen uh, friends of mine British friends of mine who I, I have a friend who we've we've been friends since 1996 and he used to take me to Benji's to get the mixed grill like he was such even through mad cow times like he was the most <laughs> dedicated carnivore who I who I I knew he just loved nothing more than uh, just just like greasy meat on a grill and he is vegetarian now has his own allotments and uh, like runs marathons and and all this and I can't wait to buy him a copy of this book because the, the genius thing that you've done with this is take these very British classic foods and to make vegetarian versions of them or emphasize the vegetables yeah, yeah. can you talk a little bit about changing the mindset yeah, well, look, of people first and foremost for your listeners like yeah um, I'm a meat eater and a proud meat eater. I'm a flexitarian. And, 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 I, and, I, and I love food. And, um, but I think um, over the years and as I've evolved and learned a lot and mm. traveled a lot and, you know, unexpectedly a lot of my job has been about not just researching places and people but mm. also history and, pat- history and patterns. So I think, like, you know, most of the Mediterranean have always been largely 80% vegetarian. Mm-hmm. It's just in modern day life, especially in the Western world, we kind of call it being vegetarian. <laughs> but actually, if you want to go into vegetarian, there's many types of vegetarian oh, and many types of veganism. And I just hate anything divisive. Yeah. I, I, the fact that you're in or out, I just think piss off. Exactly. You know, like, go on a journey, explore, mm-hmm. try and read your body, do what feels mm-hmm. right. Whether you want to do it for health or saving a hell of a load of money. Mm-hmm. You know, even ch- even rubbish meat is expensive. Yes, it you know? comes and at so a cost. I tend to only eat, tend to only eat meat at the weekends now. Mm-hmm. And uh, why? Uh, it's kind of easier. Uh, mm-hmm. you, um, if, if, if you're kind of a younger couple or younger and you want to save a bit of money, brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about thousands of dollars a year oh, yeah. on editing three or four days of crap meat out of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a health side of you... Um, you know, we we just are learning so much about the relationship between whole body health, including mental health, and the gut. And oh. then if it's about the gut, it's always in one way or another about fiber, you mm-hmm. know, the kind of wrapping paper of food. 
and at what point in the gut the wrapping paper's taken off. Right. And at what, you know, and the Jenga game that's your stomach, you know, it's not, it's not you are what you eat, but you are what you absorb. So mm-hmm. I think for me, like taking in my travels and my studies as a nutritionist, but mm-hmm. also as a meat loving carnivore, mm-hmm. like I just, the thing about a book is I've been asked to write this book for 20 years. Yeah, you, you said you've, you've did this book nine I years ago. I wrote this nine years ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and I knew that, and I'm so, it's the only time I've ever held a book. And I knew that it deserved to be supported by TV. Yeah. And 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 just for whatever reason, I'm very lucky. I don't know why, but we broadcast in like 120 countries around mm-hmm. the world. And we publish in probably half that. And I knew that like the veg narrative is, it's not why I did it, but it's quite political. So Extremely. just sort of saying, A, that you don't have to be a vegetarian to, to have a vegetarian cookbook. Right. And also that this is not progress. This is not mm-hmm. going forward. Actually, this is going backwards to what our grandparents did. Mm-hmm. Normal. And you know, the idea of eating people, meat three times a day is not What poor people did too. I mean, it, it's so much of that, it, of poor people cuisine comes from, especially here in the States, like the Southern cuisine comes from making the most of, you have a tiny bit of meat. Maybe you have just some meat fat. Maybe you don't have any meat at all and making those beans go a long way. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely agree. So I, I think timing for me was really important on this. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting, and I hope what's happening, I believe it is happening, I think, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds really pretentious, but like... <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> you, well, I'm, just, I'm 20 years in the game, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, if Jamie Oliver does a vegetarian cookbook, it's kind of, it's not only sort of bolstering and supporting all the other incredible authors that have done brilliant vegetarian cookbooks, mm-hmm. um, it's also sort of saying, guys, it's okay. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a really weird thing. Like, if I... You know, this has been publishing amazingly well in Germany, one of the most meat-centric countries on the planet. But we are at an interesting turning point. Yes. You know? And whether you're looking at plastics and environment and topsoil and veggies, you know, or, you know, body health. Yeah. Or cost money, much saving money. You know, however you want to look at it, I think every single person on this planet can benefit from swapping out one meal, meat meal a week, mm-hmm. maybe two. And, you know, generally speaking, what I'm doing now is Monday to Thursday, we're smashing out the veggie dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's working really well. It's fantastic with the kids. Um, uh, I'm then excited for the weekend. The, yeah. the weekend has a different rhythm. Um, and then I go to a butcher and have a conversation. Yes. And the, the difference between a good bit of pork and a cheap bit of pork is uncomparable. You know, it's like trying to get to England from America on a lilo versus like the QE2. It just, you know, I didn't say Titanic, uh, um, but do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, it's just another game. I mean, like, yeah. you know, so I think, I just think it's very timely and, and, and I'm really fascinated to see where it goes. Actually. I think there's a lot of chefs in the industry changing their lens a little bit. Mm-hmm. They've you been know, waiting for permission. For sure. And some will be for better. Some will be for worse. I, I, I think the, the most important thing to do is not stop talking about clubs Stop talking about ism, ism, ism. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just use your instinct and and like, you know, it's because it's kind of funny. It, when even when I look over twenty years of menus that I've written, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes all the starters of veggie, I never even thought about it. Yeah, but it was just made sense. If you're just eating um, with the rhythm of yeah. how things are and what the earth is giving you at that particular time, I think and- being fussy about stuff you put in your mouth is kind of quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking that moment to really acknowledge the pleasure of what you're doing, like getting down, 
getting to sit down and eat is a privilege. I mean, I, you know, I know so many people don't have enough to eat or they don't have, they haven't given themselves the time to eat. There are yeah. so many different reasons that people have so many. skimped and scrapped and, and people have so much shame around this that I, I have been trying, I've been trying, especially in this new year to when I do get to sit down and eat, be very conscious of like what I'm putting in my mouth and the f- mm. getting to be grateful for it and enjoy it. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I'm not particularly religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't profess to be in anyone's gang. Um, <laughs> but I love the idea of grace. Yes, grace is a great like, word. Being grateful for, for, for like, you know, because I also think that like eating meat should be uncomfortable. Yeah. Like if you go to France, be able the to chickens all have feet and heads, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously in the States and England, that doesn't rock. But one of the reasons technically that it doesn't rock is because it tells a thousand tales. If you treat an animal like shit... Um, and for instance, the vast majority, if not most of the chickens in America, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, won't have their litter changed. They'll be about 30 days old. Mm -hmm. They probably won't see daylight and the ammonia that builds up in their own piss. Oh God, the smell of those places. It burns their feet. Mm -hmm. So you cut the legs off because you don't want to show the burning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, in France, if you've got nice feet, you know, it's been roaming around having a lovely life of natural behavior. Uh, same thing with the head and the eyes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like so, w- w- with regards to debeaking or cannibalization or sort of any of the kind of ailments you'll get from sort of intensive farming. So it's it's kind of like the honesty that the French still maintain is amazing. Mm-hmm. A, if you want to be vegetarian, be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. B, if it offends you, be vegetarian, mm-hmm. and the more the merrier. But B, if you like meat, mm-hmm. like by getting decent stuff, it's going to be more nutritious, more mm-hmm. delicious, and also you're going to end up probably supporting a family mm-hmm. instead of like an organization yeah. so it's i think like this idea of we should embrace uncomfortableness I, and and we all need to have that conversation with ourselves about the systems i mean it's so funny like uh, and again i can talk about it in like we used to get raided by vegans in my restaurants in the UK. Oh, God. We get like 20 of them hit me. Because obviously if you do a Jamie Oliver restaurant, you're going to get more PR, this, that, or the other. Yeah. We get like 15, 20 of them come in. They'd have iPads. Saturday morning, they put like slaughter of animals in front of a kid eating a bit of spaghetti bolognese. Or very nice homemade pasta from that day, I'll say. Um, right in front of kids on a Saturday lunch. Right, They'd do one restaurant. They'd walk, walk, walk two miles up the road into Covent Garden, do the next. Yeah. Um, and you sort of think... and But... Then you would see mobs of vegans enjoying the vegan menu at some of the most famous restaurants that really don't care at all. Yeah. And they'd be really happy <laughs> eating their sweet corn grilled on the same grill as the <laughs> shitty chicken that had the worst integrity on the planet. Do you know what I mean? So I, do. I think like this kind of weird hypocrisy um, and the fact, you know, I, I remember there was, a, there was a naked woman in a cage outside my <laughs> restaurant once from Petter. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and she was pregnant. And um, it was about um, disagreeing with sow stalls in mm-hmm. the breeding of pigs. And sow stalls are when you basically cage, yeah, cage yeah. them. And there's a technical reason for it, which I don't agree in, but it's to stop them sitting on their own babies and killing them. So oh. if, if they have like six babies, like, you know, you don't want to end up with one if you're a farmer, right? So you put them in a cage until they're big enough to not be squashed. Anyway, there's other ways of doing it much more ethically. And I'm like, sister, why are you here? And she goes, because it sounds good. I said, but my restaurant doesn't have any animals from this system. Why are you here? She goes, well, it's your restaurant. We're going to get more press. And I'm like, but it's not. I'm working really hard to support really good, really amazing farms and, and, and like husbandry. And um, so it's, it's amazing, the, um, the, especially now on social media, 
there's such I mean I'm not saying some of it isn't true mm. but certainly the vast majority of what I'm given by say teenagers that are making big choices understandably so mm-hmm. about the food they eat a lot of it is really outdated and not from our country yeah and <laughs> illegal um so it's kind of um the kind of I guess I guess everything in our world world at the moment is about truth, isn't it? Yes, the truth. <laughs> yeah, the, sorting th- sorting the fake from the true. <laughs> like it. So I'm I'm getting the wrap it up sign from our producer because oh, they want sorry. us to shut up. But I want to <laughs> I I, I want to hear you. Kim Kim Kim's looking downloading porn on her phone, <laughs> and um, and so she's but fine. I, but I want to say like I've always Im- really appreciated the fact that you have not shied away from being the the front person for a lot of uncomfortable subjects because I see the heat that you take and I see that the you uh, addressing the discomfort so I, th- I I'm thinking like 2020 is a great year for discomfort and grace I think <laughs> I think if you care yeah and if any of your listeners care yeah about I think if they're listening to going out of their um, way to listen to this they care yeah, yeah well I if hope. they care well welcome to the world of bumps yeah the minute you care everything becomes hard yeah and perfect doesn't exist no it's and, the enemy of um, <laughs> progress if you don't care it's easy yeah it's easy a friend of mine always it's, i mean honestly the, 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 the whether it's caring you know we've opened restaurants in places where all my ethos is, you know, sh- you know, sh- enshrined in procurement and, and contracts and, and us visiting farms and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, we've had stuff where we've had scenarios where the animals that we're cooking are better looked after than the staff we're employing. That's, that's and we a... have to fix that very quickly. And that's a cultural thing. Yes. But if you break, if you're breaking, uh, what do they call it? Breaking pact or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're breaking away from what's culturally normal there, mm-hmm. you get some really complicated scenarios oh yes um so uh but i just i just think um it's uh, a fascinating industry it, it's one of the best industries in the world i think it's under a lot of pressure at the moment it, it, I, I think I, we're in a, a hard time it's, it's a very very hard time like so many different factors but i do feel like we're coming to that that wonderful state of discomfort where people who some t- for a very long time, people who who haven't had the resources have had to bear the burden of all of this, and now it seems like more people who have the privileges are questioning themselves, and that's where it needs to happen. And the people who actually have the advantages of things need to look at where they can afford to be uncomfortable. It's got to be easier for good people to do good work. Yeah, yeah. and and the common denominator can't be stack it high, sell it cheap, shit. Yeah, um, and there has to be some. F- fat and some cushioning in the middle yeah you know I, I know chefs at the top of the game winning all the awards busy restaurants mm. and if you look through their sort of eyes mm-hmm. you know that they're just paying the bills every week it's they're, really they're just you know at the top of their game mm-hmm. and it's just not good enough you know there needs to be a bit more fat in the game and um and there are very easy ways of defining a small family business to a medium-sized business to a huge organization and, um, you know, it's quite interesting in, in time, you know, you know, obviously, you know, when I was sort of saying earlier that my failed business, mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of, um, paid over a hundred million pounds tax in our 13 years, you know, that's a fucking damn sight more than some of the big tech companies mm-hmm. that operate in the UK that are like <laughs> trillions of the size. Trying Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and you're so pro- I think like, how could, like, you know, and, and part of our, uh, part of our demise was 
sort of caring the, the, <laughs> no was the the kind of the tech revolution in food mm -hmm. you know like if you've got a half decent restaurant even if it's mid-market and you've got some sweaty hairy ass bike rider that's turning up to pick up your kind of food to go do you know what i mean like it's not mm -hmm. cool like like w retrospectively having a separate door or a hole in the wall is tough man mm -hmm. and also what's interesting is good food normally is more hydrated so literally like bad food when it goes through delivery you could put it through like a nuclear fallout and it still look the same. If you take <laughs> a really true. good pizza and really yeah. good grains and like slow leaven like dough, wood oven mm -hmm. crust, That's just not San Marzano tomatoes, lovely mozzarella, mm -hmm. herbs, and then you put that on a bike and he's going up a hill swaggering his <laughs> tiny left and right. You know, it literally is like it's Papa Pomodoro by the time they get to the other end. And, and it's, it's just, just <laughs> it's just sad, soggy salad on a pizza. <laughs> We don't, you don't want that to be representative of your food that you're putting out in the world. Not at all, but it's, we all live in hope, right? <laughs> we live in hope. We try, man. We try. And I, you know, and I really, I really think that this is going to get some more people Thank cooking you. at home and maybe people who had before thought like a oh, vegetarian, what's that? And, you know, somebody's dad, you know, who, who needs their Sunday roast. They need I, their I, whatever. I really, I wanted to make it the most accessible <laughs> veggie book. Yeah. For a meat eater. Yeah. So, like, getting that rhythm of kind of, you know, mac and cheese, mm -hmm. but, like, like fully loaded. Yeah. Uh, but that feeling of comfort and, like, right, that's a good dinner done. You yeah. know, but uh, I had to get those in. You know, amazing stews, curries, stir fries, Cheese toasty with kimchi. You know, yeah, it's, uh, you know that I makes love sense. <laughs> I, I mean, in my head, I'm calling it kimchi. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, like, it's only a small amount of people in Britain say know what kimchi is really. Yeah. But it is in every supermarket now. Yeah. And they have it in little cryvac packs. And yeah. And they're really stable. And no one really knows what to do with it. So you start, you know, you start putting it in a toasty that you can knock out in four minutes <laughs> and you, you know, you cut that up to little soldiers <laughs> and you have that with a cold beer on a Friday night. Oh my God. Um, 20 years from now, people are just going to be eating these things and not even think, when did we all start doing that? Like, and they're going to point to the book. And well, you never know. You never know. <laughs> I have a feeling. I really, really do. And I'm... I'm grateful. I know the kind of day you, you had, and I'm grateful that you're spending this time Listen, with us. Listen, I'm, I'm already grateful because um, what was quite niche, which was vegetarian, mm -hmm. like uh, Touchwood, um, <laughs> uh, it, it's the, it's the best-selling veggie book of all time in the UK. Yes. And like it's doing really well in Germany. And mm -hmm. I, and of course, I'm, I'm grateful for that because it pays my wages. But, mm -hmm. um, but I think more so it kind of means that it's gone from being niche to mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of that's my job. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, you're, so you're like, that guy. Because like even three years ago, yeah. talking about food or a dinner without meat mm -hmm. was like a really weird, divisive mm -hmm. conversation, almost implying that men wouldn't be men. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there was this and book in the 80s, um, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. And I'm actually writing a piece about what a weird ass thing that was. And they needed a follow up book. Do, about do you know what I found the other day, oh, which is funny? Um, I found... Uh, obviously, as I'm sure you know, my beginning of my career was the Naked Chef. Yes. And uh, <laughs> you know, there was a you know, uh, it came from like I did a little thing saying stripping restaurant food down to its bare essentials. Mm. Yeah, Naked Chef, and it kind of <laughs> worked really well. But I found a book from '71. Oh God. Uh, uh, an American book, which was the first Naked Chef cookbook, and it was all about cooking food to get laid. <laughs> I collect the those actually. Eroticism I, of food. I, I and actually have a collection of all those like sixties, seventies, like bachelor. Try cookbooks. and get it because it, <laughs> I, I was re I was reading some inserts 
excerpts of that book um, to my wife the other day. And, and it was basically saying to women, like, look, the boys are having loads of fun with their city lunches, this, that, and the other. If you want to keep your boys, right, yeah. you need to up the beef jerky, right? <laughs> and if you want to up the beef jerky, you need to, like, the first port of call, you know, the bedroom starts in the kitchen. So it was, you know, it was kind of everything you don't say now, you know, with it, like, yeah. this, is, this is pre... <laughs> this is the pre-me um, too. It's but, um, <laughs> no, no, well, it's, it's, I don't think it's me too. It's, it's, I think it's, it's, it was pre-women <laughs> coming of age in yeah. every sector yeah. uh, as they are... Yeah, doing very well, and we're still obviously Beautiful. working on. You but, have some um, fantastic UK uh, women chefs. But <laughs> this is the beauty of books, right? You yeah. can look at a book, and it takes you back to a moment. They say things that you would never <laughs> say now, but um, and it was quite explicit about how food fitted in to sex life. Oh my god! But to be honest, and and, and to sort of finish this interview on a high. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What I, are the recipes well, from this? No, book? <laughs> no, no. But the Naked Chef actually, yeah. when it kicked off, um, the first year and a half was tough because men. Absolute, it was driven by Women Magazine yeah. and um, female journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, if I look back in the tear sheets, mm-hmm. and men absolutely hated me until they realised that if they could just learn to cook, <laughs> they would be a much more uh, exciting asset to their lovely lady. So it was. It took a year and a half for men to realise that I wasn't a threat. I was actually an ally. Right. And um, I have no idea how we got onto the Naked Chef. Oh, yes, I found that old cookbook. Right. So it's an American cookbook. Look it up. What's it called? The front cover. It's called The Naked oh, Chef. It is. Have you oh, not it been is. listening? Oh, I thought, okay, because I thought you were just saying it was no, like it, The Naked no, Chef. It, no, it was actually the called. The Naked Chef. Okay. And the original. And, and the front cover is a peach. A provocative, <laughs> a provocative peach. Now the children use the emojis. It's really funny. They use the aubergine. They use the peach. The aubergine <laughs> and the target is my favorite <laughs> emoji. Um... I haven't found the run-up emoji yet, but I might put that before the aubergine. Um, anyway, is that a good way to finish the I think podcast? That's a, I think that is a perfect thing. <laughs> Two quick questions to ask that we ask everybody. Go on. Have you ever cried in the walk-in? No. You have not cried in the walk-in. No, I've cried in so many other places. <laughs> but just not, you know, not the, not the walk-in fridge. Okay, I think you're the only chef who has never cried in the walk-in. <sighs> no, I remember once... Um, <laughs> Like, I cried with laughter in the walk-in <laughs> because um, one of my co-chefs was um, through, you know, the, the rubber curtains. Mm-hmm. He, he came through them and, and did a reenactment of his birth. <laughs> um, and my um, boss at the time, who, uh, who uh, was an incredible, incredible Alice Waters-like character, mm-hmm. um, she was like, oh, my God. I've seen a lot of things in my career. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. But therefore, I did cry in the walk-in fridge because that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Amazing. What is the toughest job in a restaurant? Mm. It's, it's a, I think they're all tough if you do them properly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I really do. I think they're all tough if you do them mm-hmm. properly. I think probably like physically... A busy grill section mm-hmm. is tough on your face, tough on your hands, it's tough on your hydration. Um, it's a tough, that's a really, you know, a good grill chef is like up there with a good sushi cutter. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's tough. I see, I can tell the cooks on the train on the way home because by their arms. Yeah. Like the, the grill chefs have Yeah, them. it's just like, <laughs> listen, you know, just put... Put your uh, cuffs down. <laughs> it's a funny one, though, isn't it? The, the fashions of chefs. 
Oh yeah. It's all very tattoos and beards at the moment. <laughs> it's 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 quite an interesting one. I try to. I'm always <laughs> proposing unconventional ideas, but I, I'm not a massive fan of beards in kitchens. I just because I have the net. And... Well, I just don't. Fun- no, they won't near. They won't wear a net. I said. I said, can you just shave, guys, or have a net? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, they'll just all go. <laughs> and we're also everyone's so short-staffed. But you, you can't. can't even, as a boss now, say. Uh, the last thing on the planet I would want to have as a customer or mm. an employer is a chef with a big old beard. I mean, really? Yeah. Fashion aside. <laughs> but <laughs> so, I mean, even if I said I'll pay you two grand extra to have the beard off, mm-hmm. that someone would find fault in that. <laughs> um, it's just, but, so I, I do, I do like a kind of, I do like a clean chef. <laughs> I must say, you know, hygiene's underrated <laughs> in the kitchen. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, but I think this is perfect. Maybe this pedicures is... and manicure next. <laughs> I think they can keep their feet in the clogs. They can... Clogs. Oh, my God, clogs. <laughs> the years and pain of clogs. It's not... But then at least Birkenstocks came along and oh saved my the day. Gosh. Everyone I know... And then it's Crocs now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Good. I think that is a. Pr- I think they will kill us if we go anywhere over. But thank you so much to my guest today, Jamie Oliver. And you can pick up his book, Ultimate Veg, at really any place that sells books. You can go to an independent bookseller if you would like to do that. That's always a really great thing to do. And uh, you can see him in a million different places with his TV shows. I was just trying to convince him to start his own podcast because he's such a thoughtful uh, thinker on um, how we get our food, how it comes into our lives, and who we're really supporting while we're doing it. So thank you so much to Jamie. And if you want to hear more of Communal Table, there are a few ways you can go about that. Um... What really, really helps is if you go to whatever platform that you get your podcasts, you can go to Spotify, you can, uh, we actually have a YouTube channel, you can go to Stitcher, you can go right to foodandwine.com and there is our podcast. If on any of these uh, podcasts you care to leave stars and a review, that really helps with the algorithms and that helps more people to find this podcast and lets us keep doing it. You can also always find the latest episode if you subscribe to the Food and Wine Pro newsletter. It Food and Wine Pro is a great section of foodandwine.com. We're really talking about issues in the industry, what happens, uh, really the, the sort of care and feeding of the people in the industry and the business decisions that go into it. We have a weekly newsletter that our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, writes. Sometimes I pinch hint on it, and we always have the newest podcast in there. If there's somebody you think I should be talking to or a topic that you would like to hear us address, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm on Twitter at Kitten with a Whip. You can hit me up on all social platforms and find me. I want to thank a few people. Our fantastic uh, team on the podcast, Margot Gotthelf, Hallie Tarpley, and Jen Martnick, and our wonderful camera crew. Switches up all the time. I'm always grateful for you wonderful people who make this look and sound so good. And I'd like to thank Douglas Wagner for our delight theme song and you lovely listeners take good care of yourself until the next time <laughs>